Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today, I've got A.D. Bryant, the Saturday Night Live star who also stars in and produces the hit Hulu series, Shrill. We talk about finding the right balance of funny when tackling fat themes, her early auditions, and how long she'll stay with SNL. Then later, Jim Parsons, the Emmy and Golden Globe winner, stars as the lecherous agent Henry Wilson in Ryan Murphy's Hollywood. Parsons opens up about his own experiences as a gay man in Hollywood and how drag helped him find himself. Plus, he shoots down a report that the Big Bang Theory would have continued if it wasn't for him leaving the show. So stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. I'm Mark Malkin. If A.D. Bryant doesn't make you laugh, there may be no hope for you. Seriously, everything she touches on Saturday Night Live or in her Hulu series Shrill turns into comedy gold. I sat down with Bryant just before everything shut down in the wake of COVID-19. We talked about her early days in the business when she was being pigeonholed because of her weight, how she finds the right amount of funny in addressing fat themes in Shrill, and what she's thinking about when it comes time to say goodbye to SNL. Here's A.D. Bryant. Hi. Hi. Hi, A.D. Bryant. Thanks for stopping by. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. No, I'm thrilled to have you here. My husband and I love the show so much. Oh, thank you. We, we, we just binged it, and when it's over, it's so sad. <laughs> I, know. I know. It's really like, you're like, no. And, you, it's, and it's a cliffhanger. I know, a little bit. Sort of like, it reminded me of the days back of like when Dynasty was on in Dallas, <laughs> like one of those cliffhangers. That's it's, the ultimate call. Yeah, I know. Oh my God. Well, so let's, let's just talk about second season first. Okay. How did the second season differ than the first season in your mind and the way that you constructed it? Oh gosh. I mean, in a lot of ways. I mean, I think for one, we had a, the first season as like this really nice foundation to kind of... Um, one, know what we were doing this time around because we never made a pilot. We went straight to series, so right. it was sort of this like, okay, away we go. And then uh, at least this time we got we had finally had a chance to like breathe, recoup, reassess, mm-hmm. and talk about what we wanted to do differently and that kind of thing. So I think we knew, you know, having eight episodes versus six episodes, we had a little more space mm-hmm. um, and wanted to go more into other characters in the show, but also to kind of uh, – let Annie be less sort of bogged down by her body mm-hmm. and and more trying to get into starting her own life and 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 let it feel how it feels I think for a lot of people who have sort of battled these kinds of demons where it's almost like a tripwire where mm. you don't see it coming and then all of a sudden it's back it's in your face life. again yeah so how has Annie changed from season one to season two yeah, well, I think season one, she's almost like in kindergarten of like uh, body positivity or trying to break those habits where like in the first episode, she's fully dieting and she's fully hating herself and yep. self-conscious. And and I think the really cool thing is like, it's almost like a character study the first season because it really is all about her. Mm. And by the sixth episode, the last episode of the first season, she's she's kind of broken from this beauty myth and she's mm. almost like awoken to this whole new way of approaching her life. And I think that's really what the second season is, is she's trying to put into practice some of the things she's she's sort of released herself mm. from. Yeah. Did you ever, you're starting out, you're doing, you know, you're doing your improv, you're <laughs> auditioning. Did you ever think that there would be a series that takes on the body issues the way it does? 
I think I always hoped there would be. Mm-hmm. But um, did you think it was possible? I, um, I don't know. I mean, I certainly had moments even when I was auditioning for SNL where I was like, I wonder if they won't hire me because I'm fat mm. or because that's sort of not the typical body you see on right. camera or there's less people for me to do impressions of or that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So then to kind of be in the position to like also take on this story and really like spearhead it, mm. um, total dream come true. And it was kind of one of those things where it just felt like this perfect moment of like, I had been working in television long enough and worked with lots of great people to learn enough to know how to, how to make it, mm-hmm. you know, and to, and to say exactly what I wanted to say and, and to understand how to write clearly and, and perform it with like compassion, you know, mm-hmm. and, but also with dignity and have it be fun and funny and sexy and all these mm-hmm. things, you know, like yep. have, have it be dynamic, I guess. How, how much do people think that Annie is 80 or 80 is Annie? <laughs> I, think, I think probably more than I'm comfortable with. Or like, actually just the other day, someone asked me about like kind of a nasty sex scene we did. And they were like, oh, that's we'll based that, on worry. you. And I was like, no, that's not me. I never was, Well, I'm you thinking know. like, what's the room at SNL? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, no, Lauren it's Lauren Michaels funny. comes here and says, by the way, what computer room were you in? <laughs> I promise, never a computer room at SNL. But Not yeah, a computer room. No, but you know what I mean. It's yeah. like it's a weird. Um, but you know, there's definitely shreds of my own story in there, mm-hmm. and and Lindy West's story. Her, you know, her memoir was like this great roadmap for right. us. And um, so you know, there's pieces, but it is funny. I feel like people want to want the deets on what's what. You so know? so what so what scene. I know, I, you know, I've heard you talk about some of the scenes that sort of taken from your life. Was there something that happened that like you were like, you know, I, I'm not going to go there in the show? Gosh, n- not yet. I mean, I think I have things that I would be excited to put in going forward mm-hmm. about like, um, you know, being more secure with yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the experience of doing sex scenes on this show for me was like, a little bit of my own body journey. And I think I was maybe a little cocky going into making the show where I was like, I'm, yeah, I mean, truly, (laughs) but you know, where I was like, oh, I'm over a lot of these body issues and I, I feel comfortable in my own skin. And I've worked really hard through therapy and friends and family Mm -hmm. to like, you know, face some of these demons. And then it was like, okay. And now be in your underwear in front of a crew of 30 people. And that, that is it took a little, you know, facing of Not that, just you know? your underwear. Okay. Yeah. Spoiler <laughs> yes. alert, but by the time this airs, everyone should have seen the show already. You're not just in your underwear. I believe the line is, do me from behind? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. If you put it that way, absolute. <laughs> How, you're writing this. Yeah, sometimes. So, not always. Don't. don't okay, so don't did you write it. the do me from behind? Okay, yes. <laughs> um, so so you're but, writing that knowing. So it's almost like, well, is there a twisted therapy going on here? I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's a lot of like, you know, when we're all in the writer's room and right. we're talking about an idea and it's a group of like, you know, eight of us and it's like, you just get going and right. one person says this and oh, wouldn't this be funny? And then that she could say that and... So it's like one of those things where I'm often not being like, oh, that's going to be my body or me doing that. I'm just thinking about story and helping pushing things forward. And and then it like kind of comes to the day of and I'm like, oh, wow, this is 
my butt or whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, but I also think for me, at least my approach was like, I felt like often when you saw fat characters, if they were even being portrayed as desirable in any way, there was a cutesiness to it. Or and like fetish. A, yeah, a, a fetish, a fetish element or like a sort of like, they're sweet, they're cute, they're like, mm-hmm. you know, a baby or something. And I think, you know, there's a lot of fat women in the world, actually, especially in America, it's like 78% of women are above size 14 or something. Right. The, the statistics are insane. And these people are in relationships, they're having sex, and they are being desired by people. And I think that was something I re- was important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a young woman, she's out there doing this stuff. So how do you balance where you want to make sure the fat jokes are not laughing at you, yeah. they're laughing with you? And how do you know, how do, how do you find that balance? How do you test it, I guess? I mean, yeah, that that is hard because there are fully jokes about like what she eats or does yeah. or things like that. But I always feel like it's sort of just like a gut check feeling, you mm-hmm. know, where like you're like that feels good or that doesn't feel good. Right. And and, you know, we have other fat writers. We have one of our, you know, Lindy West is an executive producer. And so it's like we we are in there. We know the experience mm-hmm. and we kind of like check it from within. Right. Um but yeah, I, I also think it's like you're always on Annie's side, even when she's doing bad. And so, mm-hmm. but it is, it's a comedy, you know, even right. though there's heavy themes in there. When you were starting out or even when you were a kid, did you see another fat woman on TV who you said, I could be like that? I, I definitely did in some ways. I always was sort of like fixated on Rosie O'Donnell where mm-hmm. I was like, what, what is she doing? She gets to host the show. This is so cool. Um, but, you know, I also think there were pieces of it that I didn't identify with where um, just like what we were talking about earlier about like, you know, sort of like a desexualization or, a, you know, always in like sort of friend category or mm. mom category or those kinds of right. things. And, um, yeah, I think it's important. And what I love about our show is like she's the lead. She is the lead. How Do you have how many? Let me rephrase that. How many seasons do you have thought out? Well, gosh, I mean, we have lots of ideas and I feel like we kind of take it as it comes, mm-hmm. you know, because um, I I definitely, you know, I don't think we need to like see her into her 70s or something like that. But I think, Why not? No, well, no, okay. here's but, the deal. No, what happens is they'll cancel it eventually. Okay, great. And then soon. we'll do a, re- a reunion show. Great. Exactly. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Shrilled up. Yes, that's it. <laughs> so how, how how much do you talk about like, or is it, is it something like, well, let's not talk about it until we know it's greenlit, but. No, we talk about it a lot. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think because the center of our show is someone's personal growth, like mm-hmm. it and, and sort of sense of self that is ever changing. And I think because we borrow so, so much from our own lives, it's kind of nice to take a temperature, like at these mm-hmm. points where like, okay, it's been six months or eight months. Let's see where, where we're feeling about our own experience or just like what I was saying about the sex scenes, like me being like, oh, I still have room to grow in this space or those kinds of things. It's like, it's nice to insert that kind of as it comes. But as you're in the time when you're not with Shrill, now are things happening in your life where you're like writing it down going, oh, that would be great. Sometimes I have little (laughs) moments like, 
you know, in a costume fitting or a whatever where I'm like, ooh, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> um, but that's the nice thing about being at SNL at the same time is like I I don't have to just sit on my hands and wait. Right. I can kind of keep my brain going and thinking. So Let's talk about the wardrobe. First, I want to know where is the bra with the hearts on the nipples? <laughs> yes, that, that was just a – we bought that. That was a Rihanna Fenty bra, Savage by Fenty is what it's called. Whoa, this is like – I thought – I'm thinking like you got that, went to the craft store, glued no, on some No, that just exists, and I just put it dang on for the day. <laughs> but that was like another one where I'm like, we wrote that, we were laughing about it, and then I was like, well, now I actually have to wear this bra for yeah, 12 tell, hours tell today. That, tell us about that scene. <laughs> yeah, it's basically just a scene where um, I'm trying to cheer up my friend and I'm trying to encourage her to come out with me that night. And she's like, okay, I'll go out with you if you wear this Christmas present I got for you. And I'm like, oh, no. Okay, fine, I'll do it. And then there's like a hard cut to me and essentially just a bra and a skirt, <laughs> you know, Um <laughs> But yeah, they have a good night, and and I wore a bra for a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and I love your dancing scenes. Yeah, when you, when you dance at the in season one, when you danced at the pool party. Yeah, that was a special I mean, one. I teared up. My husband teared up because it's, you know, it's not just in in that moment. It's not just the fat girl story. Totally, it's the story of anyone who felt like an outsider. Yeah, yeah, like everyone, you know, like. To me, watching that scene, that was like me first walking into a gay bar. Yeah. It was that I think same moment. That's been the nicest thing about that episode is like you've really we've been able to hear so many different stories like that from mm -hmm. people of like their moment of being like, oh, it's actually fine. Right, <laughs> you know? Right. And and I think just putting on screen how much of like our own sort of self-doubt and pain is like self-inflicted mm -hmm. is is a is a good thing for people to see. Yeah. Um Tell me, tell me about your first audition that you ever went on. Oh my gosh! Okay, uh, I mean, you know, they, they do like improv auditions in mm -hmm. Chicago. That's where I was doing right. like trying to get into Second City and stuff. And I remember I got sent out to do an audition for a Walmart commercial, and I think I was like nineteen years old, and it was for like. A mother of three, <laughs> and, but I was That's like for certain markets. In I the know, States. and I was like, I don't think I'm gonna get this. <laughs> and then I went there, and like every other woman there was like four in her forties, but sort of had my body type. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. This will be my journey in this industry. <laughs> did you did you ever have you know a potential agent or manager say, you know what, I want to work with you, but. You gotta lose the weight. I didn't have an agent tell me that, but I definitely had an agent tell me, like while I was in Chicago, that like you're not gonna be castable for most things. You're gonna be a really specific thing. So they didn't tell me to lose weight, but they were like, "You're gonna be in hell for the rest of your right. life," which was um, good. <laughs> and uh, what, what happens when you when when you hurt something like that? Do you take that? Does it empower you? Does it depress you? Does it? I uh, you know maybe this is like my own personality disorder, but. I think sometimes when I hear things like that, I'm like, oh, really? Well, you're about to eat it. Fuck you. You know, and that it like really brings out this like so kind of like challenge thing in me where I was like, OK, cool. Well, then I'm going to go to Second City and I'm going to do like, you know, I just kind of it's like a, a, a maybe a good thing and a bad thing. But I'm like, well, I'm about to kick you in the teeth. <laughs> do you ever think um, Hollywood or the culture at large that fat shaming stigma is going to be gone? 
I definitely hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I like to think that me and a lot of other ladies who are sort of coming up and, and doing their thing right now are like tr- helping to move the needle and change that a little bit. But it's, you know, it's an industry that's really set in its ways and it's sort of like interconnected with the fashion industry because yeah. of all the appearances and the clothing and that kind of stuff. And um, it's interesting. It's definitely a journey. And I think like I often think about the time that I have to take to double check on photo shoots that there will be options for me right. or double check with my stylist that we have enough to get through a press tour, those kinds of things that I think that's energy that other straight sides actresses don't have to expend. Right. That is a waste of my time mm. that I could have maybe written something else or shot something else wow. in that time if it all added up. And I look forward to not having to do that. <laughs> so what, what do you look for? You, you said, you know, you're a writer, you're a performer, obviously now a producer. What do you want to tackle next? Oh, my gosh. I would love to go on a vacation. (laughs) That's one of the things I would love to tackle very hard. Um, No, I don't know. I mean, I I would love to, like, I've written a movie, and I would love to, like, make that happen. Um, My schedule is very bad. (laughs) Um, It's kind of about a woman who starts to believe she has supernatural powers. (laughs) But... um, so, so it's a superhero Marvel movie. No, definitely not. Um, but I don't know. You know, I think, I don't know. I, I, I'm open-minded, but mm-hmm. I'm definitely like at times like booked two years out with like SNL and Shrill stuff. Right. So I'm like someday. Do you ever see the day where you say goodbye to SNL? I do. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes see these like new people and I'm like, I want to make room for them mm. in the way because they're like getting ready, you know, right. they're getting there. But I also I'm still having so much fun there and um I still feel challenged there. And, you know, it, it's my home. It's like truly where I started when I got hired. I had never been on camera in any never. form, not a commercial, wow. not anything. And so it totally changed my life. Yeah. Do you, do you have a time period that you think it's I don't. I don't know. I'm kind of just taking it as it comes. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I know, I'll know, and I don't know right now. And who would you love to do an impersonation of that you haven't done yet? Oh, my gosh. That's a tough one. Um, I, I really can't even think of it because at this point, I would say Elton John, but then I finally did him. And so now <laughs> I'm like, he was my my great missing piece. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I can't I can't even think of anyone. And if you could sit down with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, what would you ask her? How's it going? <laughs> I don't know. I, I would be scared to sit down with her, I think. Would you? Why? Well, I've I've heard tale that they didn't love my impression over there. Um but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think we have much in common. Katie Bryant, you're amazing. Oh, my gosh, this was so fun. Katie, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Aidy Bryant. Shrill is available on Hulu. Now I'm going to take a short break, but when I come back, Mr. Jim Parsons, stick around. I've got one word for you. Tom Cruise. On this new weekly podcast, Meeting Tom Cruise, we're going to talk about Tom Cruise. We're going to talk to people who have met Tom Cruise. Why? 
because Tom Cruise is the greatest movie star of all time. Is he, though? Shut your mouth. Everyone who has met him has an amazing story to tell. And that's where I met Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. When I hear the bathroom door open, and it's Tom Cruise. Hey, everybody, I'm Jeff Meacham. You might know me as Josh Openhold from TV's Blackish, and I'm here with the Goose to My Maverick. Hey, I'm Joel Johnstone, and you might know me as Archie on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I'm Alec Lev, and you might... Nope, no one knows you from anything. Listen, we love Tom Cruise. We are inspired by Tom Cruise. But while we live and work in Hollywood, we've never actually met Tom Cruise. So we're going to talk to some people who have, and maybe one of them will lead us to the man himself, so we can have our own stories of meeting Tom Cruise. Does it really have to just be about Tom Cruise? Shut up! Why are you here? Listen to Meeting Tom Cruise on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Jim Parsons shot to fame and took home many awards for his work in The Big Bang Theory. But now he's turning heads with his work in Netflix Hollywood as Henry Wilson, a real-life talent agent who is not only known as one of the town's most ruthless power brokers, but he was also a sexual predator who preyed on young men. I talked to Parsons about transforming into Wilson and the fantasy ending of Hollywood. Plus, he opens up about his own coming out and reveals the gender-bending stage work that helped him find himself while he was still in college. Here's Jim Parsons. So how's quarantine life for you? Yeah, I, I mean, it's fun. I mean, look, I mean, the, the bottom line is I'm, I'm one of the, those of us that are very fortunate to not have to, you know, I have a roof and, and here we sit, I'm able to be here. Um, but, uh, but it's curious, you know, the thing I've noticed most of all for me is that uh, patterns in thinking the way my brain works, my emotions flow in and out of a day. It's it's not that it's always exactly the same, but it is, I've never noticed so many similar road humps through my day. And I'm like, well, guess what? Yeah. You're in charge of that. Um, I'm not saying I know how to fix it, <laughs> but uh, awareness is the first step. I don't know. Not that things were going that bad. It's not even that. It's just, it's, it's, um, <laughs> It's a very unique time for self-observance uh, in this way. Yes, we, we're allowed to be in our heads a lot more than when yeah. we're busy out in the world with other people. Um, what have you been binging? Are you a binger? What have you been watching? I'm really not a binger. The only thing that I, oh, that's not, oh, well, there's two things I binge. The first one I had already binged earlier seasons, which was the Great British Baking Show. And... That's love just just love so we devoured that I, almost I, immediately i was i was making banana bread yesterday i'm like i could be on that baking show and then i was like <laughs> i don't know how to do like the four four layer puff thing like what i will <laughs> tell you what they've really got something figured out there because <laughs> it is just the right balance of being something you couldn't do, but not feeling so divorced from it that you can't be a part of it. Right. You know, I know That's a lot point. of people who have pro tro trouble with some of the other cooking competition shows because there's something about it that just feels disconnected or they don't, they're like, well, if I'm not going to eat it, what does it matter? But there's something about this one and the way they, hand, there's something, I don't know if it's very British about it or what, but there's a lack of, there's a lack of, um, lurid detail there's a lack of trying to get us to cry if you will <laughs> that is oddly more absorbing or at least it is to me you know 
Um, anyway, so we binged that pretty quickly when we got here. And then the next thing was uh, Succession, which I had not seen, um, which I, uh-huh. I loved, uh, it, most especially for the acting. It's, you know, it, it's hard to find too many other shows that can across the board claim so many <laughs> wonderful performances, every single one of them. Well, let's talk about Henry Wilson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's just like us. <laughs> just okay. First, I mean, there's so many questions I have. But tell me the first time you saw yourself as Henry Wilson when you looked in the mirror and you just saw the makeup and the hair. It just mm-hmm. you were not there. Jim was gone. Sheldon's gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was. It was so much more, it was such a more intense free feeling than I ever suspected it would be. You know, when I, mm. when we first started getting involved with this, I didn't know who Henry was and I hadn't seen a picture. And then when I did Google him and see an image of him, I was like, well, we could do things, you know? And, <laughs> and so I don't know what their intentions were. I asked Ryan before anybody had a chance to say anything, if we could do some things. And I didn't know budget and time and and, and vision wise if that was gonna. But Ryan is I should have known. I mean, he's always for like hell yes. <laughs> the more playful, the better. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah. But even then, I went through the teeth fittings. I went through the eye fittings. I went through the skull fittings. And you know, I had a friend watch it, and she wrote me, and she said, and I thought this was very well put. She goes, "It's like." She goes, it's not that it doesn't look like you. It's not like it, anybody would notice that and see like, who the hell is that? She goes, it's like you were shot through a spider web covered creepy filter. And I thought that's really well put. And that was enough for me to, like I say, there was, a, there was just a freedom with it I felt. And especially with some of the things that Henry does and says, there's not only a oh, disgusting, vile uh, aspect to some of the things he does and says, there's also a real sense of power and willingness to take control that, mm-hmm. that I don't normally feel as much as a human. I don't know. I, I'm sure in some ways I do, but not, not obviously not in the ways that he does, but not as, <laughs> not as balls to the wall as he does. And... And there was something about the makeup and hair that let me just be there and do that in a way that I don't know if I would have been able to otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I will say this too, I, I'm really hopeful that in my subconscious, this experience has given me, because now that I've been through an experience like that, I hope that I'm able to find that kind of pathway of freedom and, and lack of response, personal responsibility in a weird way in other roles without all the hair and makeup. You know what I mean? Um, but I couldn't know what that felt like until having gone through it. But I, I have to imagine at some level, there's a way to have these lessons be applicable even without a, a fake nose or a funny head or whatever, you know. And that... Uh, do you call it dialogue? The thing, I mean, yeah. a first scene with Rock Hudson and, yeah. you know, what comes out of your mouth? It literally, yeah. I'm sure you've been told this, jaws on the floor. 
We, my husband and I were watching. <laughs> we're like, whoa. <laughs> so when you're reading the script, are you saying, I'm ready to say this? It's okay? Or is it I just was excited. jarring for you? Yeah. No, I was excited. I mean, yeah, I guess it would have been, you know, one of the things, I've brought this up in under interviews, but it's one of the things that only through doing interviews and looking back on it do I realize, so I keep repeating it because it's still kind of an aha to me. I benefited so much personally from not knowing who the hell Henry was until we did it. So by the time I was learning about all these outlandish or disgusting or whatever things that you could say about him, I didn't have the opportunity to generalize or group him with somebody. This it automatically had to be and was a very specific person for me that I was going to have to bring life to and hopefully humanity to, whatever. Um, and partly because of that and partly because, you know, if you can get past a little bit the not the literal things that he's saying but like the kind of like oh dear god there is <laughs> so colorful it's so much to dive into and that was where for me this role was as much of a playground for an actor that i had ever i had ever been a part of before um they wrote him extremely well too i mean some of the monologues they gave him had a a, a circuitous way about them and bits of information coming out that were just like, yay, you know. Did he find, in, in the end of at least Hollywood, did he find redemption by saying he wanted to do this movie that obviously during yeah. that time period could never be made? And yeah. was that too easy for him? Because he was, whether in real life or in Hollywood, yeah. he was pretty awful. Yeah, um, well, I mean, yeah, I think there was a certain ease to it. There was a certain ease to a lot of the the more fictionalized, even close to fairy tale like aspects of this show. Wow. I mean, that's kind of, you know, I heard this several times of like happy endings all around. That was kind of the intent, or at least it became the intent at a certain mm -hmm. point. And that to my ear was like, well, that that that's what that's kind of part of where it can be what that means to make it a little bit easy in that way. Um, that being said, whatever you think of Henry getting getting some uh, a nice ending when he maybe obviously didn't deserve it necessarily in real life, it I liked how his redemption stemmed directly from the brave decisions and actions of these other people. It, you know, you, you get to that point where these decisions about the movie Meg have been made and it, it does what it does. And there's a pretty direct connection, I think, in our series of that's what affected Henry. It changed the world. And, and, and I do, that's what it is. You know, if you, you know, we're left to speculate had a move like that been made back in the 40s, like we make in our show, what would the world look like today? And, and a lot of that is, um, is obviously conjecture, it's all conjecture, but, but we don't see how that plays out for a lot of the world. But in a character like Henry, you get the chance to say, what if, what if, if a move like that had been made, would it have offered the opportunity for somebody as, like I say, bent and sometimes vile as Henry to, would it offer him a chance to take another look? 
and 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 in this case that's exactly what we did um and honestly for as easy quote unquote as it may or may not have been to do that i also think that their decision to not have rock hudson forgive him was mm. that to me was a good balance i think you got a very sincere and an honest appraisal of oneself from henry in his apology and it didn't matter as far as like, and amends have been made. There was still more to do. Right. And, and, and that felt very right. And in some ways, again, from looking hindsight, having played it and done it already, it, to me, that seems like that was the best thing that could happen to Henry. If he really did have some understanding of how awful he'd been and the pain he'd caused other people, then, I would think as a human that you would need more you would need more punishment in a weird way in order to feel mm. some sense of being able to go on and happy with yourself other than just right. I apologize I was sincere and they said okay it sounds nice but I think that that more work needs to be done I would imagine because I've never done anything wrong and I never have anything to make up for so I don't know what that feels like <laughs> You never say sorry, do you? No, no. Why would I? A saint. Um, well, have you thought, I mean, especially making this series, have you thought about what if Rock Hudson was allowed to walk that carpet, was allowed to be out? Mm -hmm. would, do you think your career would have been different? Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, for sure. Um, well, I... I'm, <laughs> The next, uh, I, I'm going to take that back a little bit just because like, well, shit, he's going to ask you in what way? And I don't know. Um, <laughs> let me say this. I have, between doing press for this at around the same time I'm doing press for pride issues or things that are coming out or whatever, one of the things that's come up a lot for me, and it already has before, but I think more about it now, either the older I get, the more experience I have. I think a lot about when Ellen came out. Um, mm. And how i don't know what the word to use but in some ways in the immediate tragic that ended up being for her and it uh, i'm sure that things looked very very dark for her how could they not have i'm sure she's talked about this um yeah but she and other people doing things so i'm just focusing on this for, for a singular action i it, it obviously changed Hollywood and, you know, ripped a Band-Aid off that made it a little bit easier to rip a Band-Aid off for other people down the line, ideally. And I know it did for me. But the thing that I've thought about a lot recently is, for as, oh gosh, for as much as it brought someone like myself a little closer to being able to realize their dream and seeing that eventually it could be dealt with, that, that event also planted a subconscious seed of scared to death. And that took a lot of shaking, you know, my own coming, like officially being out in front of the, for the press and for the public and my friends and people I work with knew. Um, that was, pro I think, scarier than it should have been at the time because other people had come out. It hadn't gone that badly. But having been in my very early 20s and having been at home with that time cover that said, yep, I'm gay and our show being canceled. And I still have that cover. Do you really? I still have it. Yeah, um, I do. It, 
it made both good and bad marks inside my soul, mm -hmm. I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ultimately, yeah. ultimately all good. Um, right, but at the, at the moment when that happened, no one, no one could have forecasted that Ellen was going to become what Ellen's become today. You know, there was, there was no. no sign that her career could be, could come back. No, and I'll still remember. So that was in, I don't even know what year, but I was 20 something. I'd say five, six years later. I don't remember now. I remember, maybe not that much. I don't remember, but that comedy special that aired on HBO. And it was really her first major, I think her first major thing out. And it was, it was such a relief and you were so happy and it was shocking that it was happening. Um, <laughs> which again, only gave, gave credence to the idea that it seemed like such a, uh, well, not a mistake on her part, but like a, a ver uh, some level of a disaster had happened because she had done that. And then, you know, a show like Hollywood that could, that has the right. fantasy of Rock Hudson walking the carpet. It's pretty incredible. And then we get to see Jim Parsons do the dance from Salome. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I danced in it. That's true. Um, danced. You that was really fun. Yeah. It was more fun than Tell I thought me. it would be. I was very scared about it when I first saw it in the script. And not the dance, because I knew Henry wasn't supposed to be a dancer, so it wasn't like I had to be right. good. Um, right. I was freaked out when it said, down to his last two or three veils, I was like, I didn't think I was playing one of those characters in this. I thought that the young people had to show their ass and what have you. Um, you know, I didn't sign up for this. And I mean, I didn't go to the gym long enough before and I just didn't sign up for it. Uh, but anyway, uh, it was, it was, it ended up being such a joy in a couple of levels. Number one, I am dance curious, I like to say. I, um, I, dance I adjacent. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, there's a, there's a dancer inside me. I know that. I, again, not, maybe not a good one, but something that is a form of expression for me. I can, I can feel that brewing. But uh, so researching the Isadora Duncan aspect of it as much as I could and, and just starting to move in a way that I was hearing about and seeing through other dancers that had danced like her at times. Um, that was enjoyable to me. And then the more I did that, the more I started, I love the aspect it added to this character, this, this diametrically opposed <laughs> need of his, desire of his, with anything else you'd seen on screen about him or how he looked in real life. And, and by the way, I don't think this is, I don't think that Isadora Duncan's true. I didn't read about that in the biography. I think this is, <laughs> this is for the sake of a good show. Um, right. But for that sake, it added this aspect. I love the idea that suddenly I was playing a character who, who his spirit animal was Isadora Duncan. And when he emulated that and opened up to that, he felt beautiful. And he felt like, like a, a diva, you know? I mean, they had that line in there, shut the fuck up, I'm dancing. And it's like, yes, when Isadora Duncan dances, or in this case, Henry Wilson, people listen and whatever. Um, and I thought that's, that's really fascinating to me. And I, I don't know what it, it didn't change anything literally, except it was always in my head after that, you know? I could be home dancing in my seven veils, what the hell am I doing in this meeting? You know, it's just like, talk about a secret. 
I feel like you're prime suspect for uh, drag celebrity drag race. Probably, <laughs> probably. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? You say that I really do have a curious relationship and personal one with drag. Not because I've done it in a authentic. Well, I don't know what you call it. I don't. Know, I don't want to put words to it. But when I was in uh, undergrad, so I was probably. I was 19 or 20 years old. I, a class member, somebody in the school was doing a project and they asked me to play uh, a character in a Charles Bush play. Um, it was a woman, a female character. And, you know, I was very much of the mindset and still am to a certain degree when people have watched you and know who you are and they ask you to do something frequently you should just go ahead and say yes whether you understand why or not because it's not always for you to know i mean the universe gives you opportunities anyway in this case i did this play with him a psycho beach party and i actually played a role she's a vamp it was marvel ann and normally she's played by a woman is chiclet who i think is the one done in drag usually but i did this part in, in drag i had like i remember i had so much fun but beyond that, I remember seeing a tape of it, and theater never plays well on tape anyway, but in this case, back in the, probably a beta, match, no, it was a VHS, but <laughs> I saw it, and we were at a party, so I've been drinking a little, so I was watching it, and I was like, I thought I looked good. Like, I was convinced that, like, I look beautiful up here. Oh, my God, it was not true. And, and it made me laugh because I thought, well, I guess that's the, the, the secret in the sauce is that you fooled yourself. <laughs> um, but then we did two more Charles Bush plays. And for a young gay actor, it keeps coming back to that, but that's who I am. Uh, for a young gay actor who the worst, one of the worst fears you could have was, being, was, was to be seen as gay on in a role when you shouldn't be gay or the character's not gay trying to struggle with that fear at the same time you're trying to figure out who am i as an actor who am i when i'm let free in a role you know it's really hard to find that out when you're going please don't let me seem gay please don't let me reveal myself um it's quite the opposite is what it should be and then these roles in drag i discovered an actor within me and a love of being on the stage and finding my light and a power up there that without the skirt and the wig and the bird seed in the in the bra i don't i wouldn't have had the opportunity to find certainly not then i don't know what trajectory it would have taken how long the journey would have gone until i did but it was a mm. seminal moment for me playing those roles in my ramshackled drag I just didn't have to hide anything anymore. And once I had felt what that felt like, this goes back to what I was saying about playing Henry with that, with that makeup on, there was a freedom suddenly introduced to me that it's like seeing in color and there's really no going back after that. You, you, don't, you, you, you may not always succeed, but you'll always know when it's not happening and you'll know what it feels like mm -hmm. to get to the other side. Um, so in that way, anytime drag comes up. Now, the, the other side of it, though, is that I've always been scared of, like, the RuPaul, like, ever coming close to the RuPaul thing or anything because, like, they're doing such a fucking fantastic job with it <laughs> that I'm like, 
I am so low rent. It was, I haven't even done it in, in ages, but I was so low rent, you know, uh, that, that I don't know. It's like, no, there are people who do that well. You didn't do that well. You had a moment. So Pride Month is, ne is next week. Um, what it does is? Pride mean to you? It is. What is Pride? Oh, the first mean to Sunday you? in June. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Well, it means a lot of things to me. When I was young, and by that I mean 12 into 13 with sexual urges, and my God, I'd do anything. Just don't let that that secret voice saying, I think you like men, don't let that be true. Um, back then it was a very scary thing. And, you know, when I was 12, 13, it was uh, 1986. So that was very, AIDS was in the news. So not only did it, was it already a taboo thing to be gay, but it was, it was uh, from my young brain, a death sentence, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so the pride parade scared the shit out of me. Anytime I saw one on TV and those people that were part of it, I was like, I, 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 I mean, I'll have to leave my family, you know. Right. And I think to a certain degree, that's still kind of like the Ellen story. Logically, I know that wasn't true, but I think mm -hmm. that that is part of me thinks that's true. You know, you're, you're, right. you're the keeper of a family killing secret. And anyway, mm -hmm. so, you know, morph into being, thank God I, I, I went into theater and took that step, which is another one. I was like, what is this really a bad idea to, to go further into the acting? I mean, you want your whole, you know, you can't even pay for yourself, for your gay self. Um, but, uh, but I did. And through that is when I started meeting all the people who came around me and loved me. And not only did I meet other gay people, but people who weren't gay. Just, I finally, for the first time in my life, met a lot of people who that wasn't a deal breaker. It was, it was, it was, not nothing, but it just wasn't, it was part of who I am and they loved me. And, and that grew in me until I was, you know, finally in New York at the epicenter of, well, the AIDS crisis, but also the biggest pride parade of well, San Francisco. Is there a competition? I don't know. New York has a big one. <laughs> um, uh, and, and by then I was like, I'm not going out in the that sounds like a nightmare. Had nothing to do with no, not <laughs> being repulsed by it or afraid of it. It was just like, it sounds like, oh, awful. Um, and then, you know, I've gotten to do so much work in the past decade between Normal Heart and Boys in the Band and, and even Henry in, in Hollywood now that has forced me to look into my own psyche of how that being gay affected it. And also history. I mean, I got a history lesson like nobody's business doing the normal heart. You know, we were covering the time when I was very young. And so my scared little ears were hearing reports on 2020, et cetera, et cetera. But I had no way of computing this information. And while I was wrestling with my own demons, I, I think the word pride is sometimes confusing to people who aren't gay in the same way they say that about you know if you if you if you wonder why we have a gay pride parade or a gay parade whatever just be that means you should be thankful that you don't need one and 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 i think there's a lot of truth to that but i also think that it's like 
and this is what I said in the Hollywood Reporter that, that I kept being like, I hope I'm wording this in a way that makes sense. I'm not proud to be gay any more than I'm proud to have, well, now bleached hair, but brown hair and blue eyes and things like that. That's, it's, it's an innate part of who I am. I am proud that I'm no longer ashamed or afraid of being gay. But even then, so much of that is gratitude for all these people I've met in my life and the way the world has morphed and, and, and the love I have felt for accepting who I am, you know, because it's only through that that I have the strength to be proud to be gay, you know. Um, uh, I don't know. It's a deep, obviously a deep, complicated <laughs> issue. And then what about these reports? Or um, A production designer on Big Bang says that the show was supposed to go for two more years, but everyone decided no more once you decided to leave the show. Uh, well, I know that firsthand there was no, there was no plan to any of our knowledge that it was to go forward because <laughs> our contracts were ending at the end of that year and we hadn't signed new ones or been offered them. Um, My year. I don't, I don't know though, as far as like, <laughs> I don't <year>. know. I mean, <laughs> partly it's a more interesting story, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I mean, there's no telling with these things. What's, you know, what, how the final decisions are made or right. what could have happened or whatever. Um, you know, I, I, Part of me very much, even though it would have partly made me sad, but it, it very much would have loved to have seen the show keep going for anybody who wanted to still do it or wanted to see it or whatever. And that's just not the way it, it shook out. But um, Right. Jim, this is awesome. This is great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been nice this talking is, to you. It's been nice talking to you. Stay safe, stay sane. Thank you, you too. That was Jim Parsons. Hollywood is available on Netflix. That's it for this episode of The Big Ticket. Thanks for listening. Coming up next week, Jerry Harris. Yes, the Matt Talking Breakout star of Cheer. For now, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all your Hollywood news, head over to Variety.com. See you next time. Hold up. 